Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the One Link Podcast. I am Brad, and I'm joined by James. How's it going, James? I am doing great. I thought Good. this thing kicked off 30 minutes ago, and I was here and ready, so I'm raring to go. In the missions world, the early bird gets the worm, too, so way to go. <laughs> I've got my new upgraded microphone, so hopefully our audience is enjoying a little bit better Brad sound. Smooth and suave. But we've got a special uh, a special guest today. James, why don't you introduce our guest? Yes, yes. We have a man with a good beard, good theology, and he's actually the one that kicked off the idea of the topic of this podcast, and that's good old Saint Pete, as I like to call him. But Peter, welcome to the One Link Podcast. Thank you, fellas. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to weigh in and um, yeah, we'll see where today's conversation takes us and, and where the road goes from here. But I'm uh, really excited to be here. And Peter, you're coming to us from sunny Florida. We were expanding our range here. We've got dreary Midwest and now beautiful sunny Florida joining in. So glad to. That's that's true. Yeah, we're here in early February and it's already pushing the 80s here in Florida. So all nice. you snowbirds up there, come on down. We've got more room. Uh, you're just adding fuel to the fire of James trying to get us to transfer the office down to Florida permanently. Uh, Maybe in the Keys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and someone's got to suffer for the gospel. That's what That's we right. say down here. That's right. You know, our mobilization coming, volunteering, director's track, if it was in Florida and the Keys, you know, we get lots of people that be like, yeah, yeah I, think I'd, I think I'd like to come down and, and see that training. Yeah. yeah. So well, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the gospel, uh, on to our topic for the day. Yes. Which is, James? Ah, I was going to let you introduce it. So the topic uh, is is we're going to talk about what does God think about the nations? Where do the idea of reaching out to the nations come in? As you said just a minute ago, it didn't. the idea of missions didn't start when Jesus made the Great Commission. And it started way, way back before that. And uh, it was Peter that brought up the idea, like we should do a series on that of a couple of different places, like where what God's saying about the nations and about missions in different sections of scriptures. And so today we're kind of going to look at the beginning with Peter. We're not going to do this one, two, three, four, five. So we'll drip them out now and then as Peter gets his next set of Bible passages ready. So Peter, start us off in the beginning. Where do we see God in the beginning chapters of the Bible interested in the nations? How would you set up the story God's writing? Sure. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, right? So I think it's important for us to remember that we're not the center of the universe. <laughs> you know, God is. He's the creator, the originator. So I don't think we can overlook Genesis 1 when it comes to a starting place for thinking about missions, missional engagement. But really, I think the first place to key in is Genesis 1, 26 to 28. So I'll just go ahead and read that. So we have kind of for frame of reference, it'll kind of color, I think, the discussion. But Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says this in the CSB. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the ground on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. 
rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So I think here, just to start off the conversation, when we think about, you know, God's heart for the nations or missions or reaching the nations, ultimately we're talking about people to people interaction. We're talking about relationship. And in order for us to have relationship, we have to have people. And so what theologians have called the the cultural mandate, this chunk of, of text, you know, including again, another theological term, the Imago Dei, right? The idea that we're created in God's image. This is the beginning of the conversation for even just what does it mean to be human? You know, before we get to missions, before we get our needs <laughs> in the gospel, we have to talk about what it means to be human. So this, I think this is really where it starts when it comes to the purpose of mankind. So how do you see the purpose of mankind playing out in, in light of these three verses? Yeah, let, let me jump in because I always, when I read this passage, I always think of Habakkuk 2.14, which I know is we're, well, we're jumping ahead in the Bible here, but where uh, it, we read, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas, right? And so you see, you kind of see this idea already seeded right here in this passage that God creates us in, in his image and says, multiply and go out and, and fill the earth as image bearers. So that's kind of the mandate that we are given as humans to spread across the earth as image bearers and that, you know, the, the glory of God would be reflected from that, from our lives as we're worshipers and followers of him. Now, of course, we're going to see in, in a moment that sin takes a takes humanity on a wrong turn here, but uh, that's kind of the image that we get here. Yeah, I agree. I've always noticed, you know, it's always good when you're reading scripture to look for the active verbs, the imperatives, you know, and here God gives mankind a couple of imperatives, those being to have dominion over the earth, or this idea of stewardship, to be fruitful, so not just um, addition, but to be fruitful and multiply, right, an increasing increase, to fill the earth, and sometimes you read fill the earth, but I think it might be better translated or better, better understood to fulfill the earth so in a sense to bring to pass the purpose of the earth which as you mentioned is to give glory to the creator who created it and finally to subdue it so it's not this understanding of humanity where we have this tyrannical relationship with the creation that we were entrusted to steward but we're supposed to lead it and allow it to thrive and as it thrives we thrive we thrive and it thrives all of that together brings glory to god so I think this picture of humanity is something that in the most basic sense, you know, that's, that's every single human being, regardless of background, regardless of time and history. And that's a really beautiful picture, I think. Yeah. And, and we kind of see, I think, some of the, the end goal of missions as well right here. Now, you know, Revelation, I'm just going to keep jumping ahead on you guys, so I'm sorry, but <laughs> I can't help myself. But, you know, Revelation 7, this picture we see of a multitude all worshiping God, you know, that's kind of like the the culmination of, of missions efforts. But you kind of see that here as well. You have this, you know, this multitude that's spreading out and they're to be image bearers and worshipers of God. So we're kind of calling people to that uh, right relationship, that original relationship with God. Yeah, I definitely see that and agree. And so in a sense, you know, as we engage in missions, we're sort of through the spirit restoring Eden. And, you know, you get that language again in Revelation of a new heaven, a new earth, things are being renewed and redeemed. 
um, they're being redeemed to this this state, this pre-sin state, which, like you mentioned, lasts for all of about two chapters <laughs> before <laughs> humanity goes and yeah, sin just throws a wrench in that plan. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we we can go ahead and, and jump ahead to that instance. Of course, probably a lot of people listening to this know the story, and so we won't rehash every single verse or read read Genesis one through whatever to you, but. A couple of uh, things to key in on are really the effects of sin. So Adam and Eve, they sin, they eat the apple, they're deceived by Satan and by their own flesh and decide they want to be like God. And as we all know, sin has its consequences. But I think it's interesting to read the specific curses that come as a result of the sin that the, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, they put upon themselves. So allow me to read Genesis 3, starting in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You'll move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I'll intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule rule over you. And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you to not eat from it, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat by it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return from the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. So this kind of adds another layer of our understanding of what does it mean to be human, right? Because this sin issue, obviously we know, isn't just an Adam and Eve thing. It's someone that all people at all times have experienced. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in some sense, the task of missions is to undo this curse, which has worked directly against everything that God has created humanity to, to do and to be. How do you see that playing out just from some of these verses? I think the thing that strikes me out of it is that, and, and tell me if you think differently on it, but basically every place around the world where you go, every religion is in some way trying to to deal with this, explain this, undo this. And some of them have this picture and, and they, like let's say Islam, they have this part of, of scriptures and they would kind of hold to it as well. And then other places have zero concept of this. Buddhism would say like the world has always existed, but there is suffering and we're always in some ways we're trying to deal with that, whether it's a a secularist view and you think, hey, I'm going to if we just educate people better, you know, we can undo this. But everyone's trying to undo it. That's kind of what jumps out to me out of it. Yeah. And I think if you don't get if you don't understand this from a, a biblical worldview, then you the solution you get is 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 messed up as well. You know, when when uh if you either you don't understand human sin nature or uh, you don't realize that you know humanity is in need of God to solve this and we have to look to him whatever it would be if, if we don't if we don't understand this part we we're going to get the solution wrong as well and what's interesting here is uh, not only you know this is sort of the we started off with purpose now we see problem and we're going to get to solution in in missions but but you see the first illusion here to that solution when God is giving the curse for the serpent. He says, you know, that he's going to strike at the off the woman's offspring's heel, 
but the, this offspring is going to crush his head. Uh, you know, most Bible scholars believe this is sort of a messianic reference that Jesus will ultimately crush Satan and, and defeat him. So, so we're kind of getting it all here: purpose, problem, and and solution. Yeah, this is slightly oh. slightly jumping ahead as well, but I think it's interesting to to see just quick how quickly man went down. Like we went from like perfect fellowship with God in the garden. And it wasn't like we did this like gradual descent. It was like in one generation we had murder, you know, like that, that you experienced Adam and Eve, you experienced like perfect fellowship with God and you experienced one of your child children murdering one of your other children and the effects of sin just ravage, ravage through humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The effects of sin, I think are really interesting here. So, you know, thinking back to those purpose statements that God gives humanity in Genesis 1, which we just looked at, immediately all of them become harder. It's harder to bear children. Women experience labor pains, which makes it harder to multiply. It's harder to work the ground, which means it's harder to lead and subdue and fulfill the earth. All of a sudden, death becomes a reality, right? Without death, it's easy to multiply and fill the earth because people don't die. But automatically, you know, there's a timeline on, on humanity's lifespan and there's enmity that gets put between the natural world and between humanity. And, you know, any of us who've ever been out in the sticks somewhere, we know that's not necessarily where we belong, right? We'd rather get back into the comfort of our shelters and our homes. But all of a sudden, these purpose statements that God gives to humanity, it gets a lot harder. And, you know, it seems like these things which feel intrinsic to humanity, things like pregnancy being difficult, things like work being hard, things like death being a reality. It's important to remember these things are actually unnatural and outside of our God-given purpose, which gives us a lot of hope for the future and looking to restoration of those things. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Where does, where does the story go from here, Peter? Yeah. So uh, immediately the conclusion of, of this little pericope, this moment, is God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.23, it says, So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he, had take, he was taken. Right. So now Adam and Eve, they're cast out of the garden, never to return, right? Into the world they go. And I think it's really interesting. This is the first understanding of someone being sent out of a place in the Bible, right? As we think about missions, we're constantly sending and being sent, commissioning and being commissioned. And here, in a sense, mankind is sent out into the world, but it's as a punishment, which is kind of an inverse of what we typically think about. Yeah, you find that mm -hmm. curious? Yeah, I do. I yeah, I'd never thought, thought about that. I thought when you brought it up, I was curious how you, where you were going to go with that and how you felt like that related into sending today. It's almost like yeah. this shows being sent away and then missions were being sent to. This is kind of it, being sent away, like a loss of, of purpose and, and, you know, a clear relationship and vision. And then in missions, we're doing the inverse of that. We're sending to with a purpose and with a God, you know, given mandate to go to those with the gospel. So uh, there is sort of a contrast there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this reminds me of John Piper's famous quote, you know, that missions exist because worship does not. And yeah, I think, I think it is missions being kind of a, 
a divine flip or reversal of this casting out of his presence you know in the act of mission we're inherently doing the opposite we're we're sending people out temporary time with parameters trying to love on them and support them as best we can we're sending them out of a comfortable space to an uncomfortable space such that they can bring more people into the fold and undo the curse of in some ways genesis 3 the very beginning kind of interesting too if you read some of nick ripkin's stuff he talks about places that have not received the gospel as like still like living under an old testament type of uh existence if you will yeah well and we see here well you know in subsequent chapters of course we have the cain and abel story which ends in murder as you just alluded to james and you know subsequent characters it's like man this thing the the problem just multiplies instead of the people multiplying and going forth to uh do to live in god's purposes they're multiplying in sin and and you know causing greater problems so where do you want to where do you want to pick up next we've got this got this problem and we're starting to get allusions to the solution but we're not it's not real clear yet yeah well you know the problem like you said it multiplies really quickly you know sin sin snowballs (laughs) And and generational sin, I think, is a real thing that we see because after just a few generations, we have the flood story, right? That God, in his justice, in his desire, his zeal for holiness and a righteous earth, he finds humanity to be be so sinful that he wipes them out. And I think that's really, really fascinating to think about, okay, this God who is the same God as the New Testament. He's the same God as the God who later would reveal himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and so many others. He just wipes out humanity, save Noah. And so we get this understanding of God as being one who is both just and zealous for holiness, but also one who is desiring to leave a remnant of humanity, one who has faith in him, will desire to live in a righteous way and we see that you know happen in in the form of noah and i think it's really cool what happens post flood and where we'll pick it back up in, in terms of bible what god says to noah after the flood so picking it up in genesis 9 1 this will sound extremely familiar god tells this to noah so it says god blessed noah and his sons and said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth so in a sense already we have this understanding of creation and recreation or making and then renewing almost immediately the humanity gets sort of a second lease on life through noah as god gives the same purpose statement and i think that's a theme that we see over and over again that he's a god of second chances and third and fourth and fifth chances and you know in a sense that even it just that little piece is a piece of the gospel yeah, and, and just to, to kind of maybe back up to leading up to the flood as well, I think that's, as I've looked at, you know, obviously all three of us are going to share at campuses and conferences about missions. And as I looked at my own presentation of that sometimes, I mean, I was at a, a campus back in the fall and I was talking about, you know, we have this rescue mission and we're rescuing these people that are out there that need help. And I had to pause and say, I want you to understand I'm the people that are out there that need rescuing are not innocent, you know, victims that are, you know, we're, we're sort of going to their aid because 
they've they're innocent in some way uh, we sometimes lose this sort of judgment and justice aspect of missions that the world is out there it is j- rightly judged and condemned for its sin so there's no innocent person out there this isn't you know trying to to make sure that you know so they they don't get you know victimized by by something this is their sins have condemned them and we're going forth to share a message of God's grace and forgiveness and so but it's got we've got to understand that judgment piece to really get the full picture of missions in my opinion yeah i, I completely agree you know i i get the blessing of working in a campus ministry context on a daily basis and it seems like especially for students of this generation increasingly so as we think about the gospel, we think about God restoring and renewing our hearts, um, and the God through the gospel we're able to be reconciled to God, which is a hundred percent true, and we see that all over Scripture. But another aspect is the fact that God's wrath is quelled in the form of Jesus taking the punishment on Himself that we deserve. And I think for a lot of people these days, especially young people. They don't view themselves as deserving of punishment or deserving of God's wrath because sin is something that happened to them, not something that they are doing intentionally. Mm -hmm. When in reality, the the reality of sin is we're both sinning against and being sinned against, and we're all all, we're all sinful, and that just gets really messy really quickly. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. So, with all this hope, well, (laughs) and good news, where do we go from here? Yeah, well, and you know, it only gets messy for just the next step because post flood, we have Noah and his family, and almost immediately, you know, what happens? They start sinning against each other once again, right? And so, a few generations go by, and it seems like humanity is just stuck in the same cycle of wanting to make themselves great and wanting to do what they want to do and wanting to be their own bosses and their own kings and their own god, and. So we, we end up in this story in Genesis 11, uh, affectionately known as the Tower of Babel. But in, in a very tangible sense, this is the origin of mission, right? Because before this point, man was a monoculture. But um, I'll, I'll read, picking it up in Genesis 11, verse 6. Um, if you're familiar with the story, this kind of picks it up about halfway when the Lord reacts. So... Verse 6 of Genesis 11 says, The Lord said, If they've begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building this city. Therefore, it is called Babylon, or Babel. For there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Mm-hmm. So again, there's a couple of themes here that we've hit on, but a new element, this new language and culture multiplying component. And for any of you guys or us who have uh, thought about learning another language so that we can cross a cultural or social boundary, we read this and we think, oh, God, <laughs> why did you have to do that? Right? Because mm-hmm. that is just such a, a barrier. But in a mm-hmm. sense, God did it to save humanity from themselves. He did it so that mankind wouldn't just make an altar to their own pride. And so we have this twofold punishment aspect, but also the punishment is actually an act of grace, I think. But what else do you see in this passage? 
Yeah, I think it's worth noting. Uh, I, uh, sometimes we get a little confused with the literary style that's used in the Bible at places. You know, the the writer here in Genesis, which we assume is Moses, but he likes to say things like, you know, God came down and saw and God remembered and things like that. And it, obviously we know it's not like God didn't know what was going on or didn't couldn't see, he had to come a little closer. So it, it's just worth noting. It, also, the language here makes it almost seem like God is, you know, worried like, oh no, these guys are going to, they're going to be so powerful or he's sort of, you know, jealous of their accomplishments. We know that's, we know of God's character, that's not true. So we have to understand this as not God just wanting to keep humans from thriving, but exactly how you said it, Peter, keep humans from destroying themselves by, by glorifying themselves and, uh, you know, not living within his plans and purpose. And so that, that's what's going on here. This is, uh, humanity's attempt to live without god and god knows that's not that's not going to work and so he frustrates those their own foolishness yeah they're not obeying the command to fill the earth and subdue it i remember i was sitting when i was brand new in in the country i was sitting with a guy I found out they were christians they owned a dumpling house and we were trying to communicate and so finally he pulled out his Bible and he he pulled to, you know, Genesis 11 and he's basically like, hey, here's our, here's our problem, right? And we both, <laughs> both laughed about it, but man, it's a problem. But I also think like if we look at what God says there, he says like with, with one language, like nothing will be impossible for them. And so like take that as the value of learning, learning that language with them makes many more things possible. What's interesting to me too, James and Peter, is again, I'm going to jump ahead. So in, in that sort of Revelation 7 moment when when John gets the glimpse and sees this multitude, he refers to them as being of every tongue. Now, I don't know exactly what that looked like, but some, I mean, certainly their ethnic distinctions were still there, right? They, there wasn't mm-hmm. sort of like some mono-ethnic thing going on. But it almost reads as if, you know, there were there was worship happening in all these different tongues and languages. And so it, it's it's interesting that God doesn't do away with these uh, this diversity that's created in these moments. That I mean, I don't think we're people are up in heaven like needing a translator to communicate with each other and stuff. I think, however it works, it's fine. We, there's unity and, and connection going on. But uh, you know, you might think God would sort of bring it back out of this uh, the Babel confusion here, but He. He certainly gets rid of the confusion, but the distinctions remain, which is interesting to me. Yeah, it is. It is too to me. And I think, um, you know, as you're reading, if you were to sit down and read Genesis from chapter one and just read it linearly, which, by the way, is probably as it was intended to be read, this I think would strike you as kind of a final point wrapping up this like beginning introduction of Genesis, because from here on, the literary style shifts to one of more narrative style following the life of Abram who becomes Abraham and um, then his sons and then Joseph in the end of the book. But this would kind of more fit in context with the beginning 10 chapters of Genesis. And what are the big things happening in the first 10 chapters? Well, God is creating. He's creating and recreating. And in a sense, this is kind of the final act of God's creation in the book of Genesis. And of course, we know from the Genesis narrative in Genesis 1, when God creates, it's good. And I think oftentimes we view this aspect of God's creation as, oh, bad, punishing, you know, ideally 
the world would be a monoculture where everyone would speak the same language and we'd all have the same cultural understanding. But I think somehow in the beauty and mystery of God's creation, this diversity of language, diversity of culture, it's actually something that's good and is glorifying to God. And again, like you said, in Romans, or excuse me, in Revelation 7, we see this being preserved even into heaven. And I think that cues us into thinking, okay, actually, this is a blessing, not a curse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Flesh out that idea more. What if God had not done that? What would the result have been? I mean, it seems like from the rhythm that we've seen just from these, you know, this conversation today, it seems like humanity just would have done it again. <laughs> that would be my guess. I mean, up until this point, it's come to a head multiple times where humanity in the form of Adam and Eve, in the form of Cain killing Abel, in the form of pre-flood, and now again, it seems like for the fourth time, humanity has gotten so evil that they're essentially fully neglecting the purpose God has set out for them. So it seems to me like they would just repeat the process. Well, and I think too, it's consistent with the creation process involves creativity, right? That's one of the ways that God shows his glory is glorified in that he, there's, there's creativity in that creation. I mean, we, you know, if we went back to Genesis, I mean, to Genesis one, you know, we would see him creating all these animals. Well, why didn't he just make one fish? Here's what a fish is. This is a fish done. You know, why do we have however many fish varieties there are out there? Thousands, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all different colors, sizes, shapes. I mean, it's, 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 we, we can recognize it as image bearers that this is cool. This is creative. It's beautiful. It's more interesting. It's more, it gives greater glory to God. And so I think, you know, with humanity too, uh, the the diversity I think can be seen in that way, and that that's preserved in heaven in in Rev- what we see in Revelation because uh, it glorifies God in some way. This this creative, diverse peoples that He's created yet unified around one purpose of worshiping Him and making Him uh, glorifying His name. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think even just in in the beginning, the idea that he created mankind and he told them to multiply, I think shows that something about these two proto-humans, that Adam and Eve, they were complete in their ability to reflect the image of God, but it was better that they multiply for the sake of glorifying God than it was just for them to stay the two of them. And I think somewhere in that, we see this picture of diversity and just being being different but centered around this idea of glorifying and worshiping our creator that that is really what it means to be human in a sense making a practical question for this we talked a lot about like god's initial purpose for man when we go overseas how do you how do we communicate this purpose to people who don't have this background who like us are marred image bearers how do we practically do that? Yeah, I, I think that's a brilliant question. And Brad, I'd love to hear what you think. Well, one thing that immediately comes to mind is Paul tells the church at Rome in Romans chapter one, he, he begins the letter to Romans with this big discourse about essentially how this information that we've talked about today, the natural creation of the world, the fact that there's order, the fact that it points to a creator, that's enough information for people to be without excuse when it comes to their moral 
capability and ability to choose faith or choose unfaith. So even without all the details of the gospel, even just this information pointing to a righteous God who is powerful, loves his creation, desires to be in relationship with creation, that's enough information for someone to be essentially pointed toward the beginnings of a faith and the saving faith. How do you actually communicate that to someone? I think it really depends culture to culture and, and context to context. But I know, and probably you could tell the same stories of places where the gospel has never been preached. But when you go there, people, they understand right from wrong. They understand they are a small cog in a big machine. And they understand some basic details of their need to change the circumstances of their lives. I think of one story when I was in Northern South Asia at the foothills of the Himalaya mountains, we went up into this village where uh, it was extremely likely that no Christian had ever gone before. In 2000 years since Jesus, the gospel had not made it there yet. As far as the workers we were with could tell, no Christian presence had been there. And we came in and we're talking to all these aunties and uncles, you know, these older, well-established, respected people in these villages and just sharing with them the basics. And they had no context for the scripture, for Jesus and the Bible. You know, they thought maybe he was some guy in the next village over. But as we started sharing with them just some of the basic truths of the scripture, they received them and they heard them and it made sense to them. Things like their need for a savior and their their inability to do what they wanted to do in life to be fulfilled in their own right and we saw actually multiple people in that village come come to christ mm. um, upon their first time of hearing the gospel wow so yeah i think you a, a good place to begin is purpose james to answer your question one un- help understanding what they believe their purpose is and and the purpose of humanity you've got to get kind of a glimpse of their worldview to know where to go from there. And I think also a, a bridge to the gospel can be, a, you know, do you feel like you are living with purpose? Do you, do you, here's what you say is purpose. Do you feel like you're, you know, that's, there's fulfillment in your life in that area. Now there's plenty of people who feel like they're living their best life and they, and they're mm-hmm. really not, they don't know Christ. So, you know, that in just alone, like, Hey, do you, do you want to have some purpose in your life is not the gospel message. Uh, but it's, it's a beginning place, I think, in some, in many cases of understanding, well, this is what we were created for. And clearly, you know, look around you, you see this is not happening. There's there's problems. I think anyone, you know, we're, we have enough of uh, the image of God there. It's still, you know, unmarred to to realize this doesn't seem right. Something's not, something's goofed up about this world. And so kind of going from there to, yeah, that, that it is, there's this, this issue of sin and uh, we need to, we can't solve this thing on our own. When you look, we've look at these verses Peter just showed. I mean, we just keep messing it up even worse so that we need a savior. So I think it's, it can be a, a launching point. And to make things practical, to run with your question, James, I think it really pushes against the lie that I think a lot of Western Arabian American Christians believe that people don't want the gospel. Mm. <laughs> you know, as we think about engaging in missions, I think a big fear that people have is, I have this message, but no one actually wants it. When in reality, I think that's what our culture has told us, or maybe a few key negative experiences have told us. But as we see over and over again with students that travel and bring back stories, there's people starving for hope and for truth 
around the world and they're thinking about these things and asking these questions of themselves about purpose and about life and about natural order that they don't have answers in their own worldview without the gospel. Yeah. It makes me think, I've been thinking a, a lot recently about the phrase, you must be born again. And when you think about like your purpose and the marred, broken world, and you think about the opportunity, like what if I could be born again? What if I could be born again outside of the, outside of all the brokenness that I have done to myself, that my culture has done to me, that I've done to other people? What if I could be born again in the image of God, be born again under his son, through his son, to be his son? That's a powerful, powerful thing. And I was reading recently about the Shandong revival, I think, which was in the early 1900s. And that was one of the, like, one of the key ladies that was involved in that. She was asking everybody that. Didn't matter if you were a Chinese person who didn't believe anything or if you were a missionary, she was asking everybody that. Have you been born again? Well, in birth, you know, the opposite of that is obviously death. And so we see why that that is a powerful image and, and why the Bible talks so much about outside of Christ, we're dead. You know, yes, mm -hmm. we're broken. Yes, we're, you know, we're living purpose without purpose, all these kind of things. But, you know, the probably the most stark analogy that's used there is that we're dead spiritually. And so mm -hmm. we need to, we need to be reborn. We don't need, just need to be fixed. We don't just need to be helped. We need to be brought from death to new birth. Yeah. Uh, a little while ago, a few years ago, I was having a conversation with a buddy and we were actually studying that passage where Jesus and Nicodemus are talking about birth and rebirth in John 3. And so I shared the gospel with him and it, it was, he could articulate the gospel back to me as well as any, you know, Christian college student could. And I asked him for probably the dozenth time that I'd asked him, you know, would you like to receive this would you like to accept this and he said no i, I think i like my life <laughs> i think i like it it's you know it's not perfect but i think it's pretty solid but i know that if it ever goes wrong i have this kind of as a, a backup plan something to fall back on and i think man how spoiled are we as americans or westerners that we look at the offer of salvation we understand the gravity of eternity so we think, no, I think, I think I'm good. I think I'm solid. But in reality, I think far more people through history around the world are crying out, honestly, and really know their need and are ready to accept hope like that. If it's, if it was just offered, you know, mm -hmm. if someone could just tell them. Yeah. I think that's some ways, you know, like we have to really take serious when God said it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But in the, well, guys, in our we we probably should leave with kind of a, a hopeful next direction here because we're we're kind of leaving with uh, confusion and uh, scattering and all this sort of stuff, which is certainly part of the the story. But we're gonna launch from our in our next time from Genesis twelve. So maybe we can just get a little context before we finish up here of what how this is sort of a new chapter maybe in the missions process. Peter, I don't know if you want to jump in there. Yeah, Galatians chapter 3 says that God preached the gospel to Abram beforehand so that his faith would be credited to him as righteousness. Long before the name of Jesus gets brought up, 
God preached the gospel to Abraham. So next time we're going to look at what is it that Abraham understood, Abram, then Abraham, that led him to step out in faith, to leave the land of his fathers and to go into what would become Israel, right? And to be made into a mighty nation. So we'll examine Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 22, where God makes this incredible promise, this promise to really bring one day a redeemer who's going to undo all the curse and all the mess of the first 11 chapters and beyond of, of sin that we talked about today. So there is hope. We didn't get there this week, but there is hope. <laughs> all of us in Christ know that God is, is faithful. But what we definitely can see and where we'll definitely land is we see one, we see God as one who he created the world. He loved his creation. He's holy and just and, and righteous and justified in exerting his wrath. But he is interested in saving humanity from his sin. So as we think about the first 11 chapters of Genesis and sort of a, a proto-history of, of humanity, we know a few things about God and a few things about mankind. And we know ultimately that mankind needs saving and that all around the world there's people who need saving and we have a God who's in the business of saving. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And once Amen. again, we'll see that, that God is, God acts. He's the, hey, the actor in the next part of the story. All right. Well, yeah. St. Pete, thanks great for job, being guys. on with us. Peter, your inaugural uh, podcast, you knocked it out of the park. Thanks. Well, I hope this has been encouraging for people, perhaps a reminder, maybe some new ideas. But as always, we'd love to get some feedback, and I'd love to get feedback because this is my first time on the podcast. You know, what's helpful, what's good, what's not good, what do you want to hear more about? I'd love to make it a two-way conversation. So you can reach us and all of our socials, and yeah, love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will see you guys, quote-unquote, see you guys next time on One Link Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>